Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 32.3-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air. So we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, it's uh, July 30th, approximately, 2013. We're kind of on summer vacation, but we broke away to do a show. Uh, we've done a screen that has three tremendous value ideas um, this week. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, Mo and I are professional uh, investment uh, managers, analysts during the week, and we do a lot of careful research and models and talk to management teams and, and things like that. Here, I want you to understand we've I've done absolutely none of that, just to be clear. Third, our lawyers say to remind you that uh, we may not have your best interests in mind and may accidentally advise you doing the opposite of what's actually best for you and your family or your wife, typically, that you should check with her. And then fourth, um, and uh, this is true most weeks, I have been drinking a little bit. And Mo is uh, abstaining for some reason. Anyway, see all our caveats, uh, links to past shows. Everything's indexed now by dollar sign ticker. So if you go to Google and type in dollar sign and almost hundreds, billions of tickers, the value guys, you know, our little shows come up and you can go and, and see what we had to say one time in the past. That's www.thevalueguys.com. So... Uh, so, Mo, uh, welcome back. Here we're doing the show. It's good to, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, you look the same? Yeah, well, I, I try to stay looking the same. I think that's the best for everyone. Makes it that's easier not, to recognize you. It's not the trend, though, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but anyway, why don't we just kick it off? We're going to do a uh, couple great ideas at the end of the show. We are? Well, we are. medium, anyway. Argon Inc., Joseph A. Banks, and UFP. And I want to thank you for hosting the show here in your uh, abode this week. It's very nice of you to come. You know, I parked in the basement. They're very nice down there. The man cave. Yeah. The, oh, you parked in the bat cave. Yeah, down there. The bat cave. He's a very yeah. nice guy down there. Yeah. Do I, will I actually ever see my car again, do you think? I, or some facsimile of uh -huh. it. You have to read the fine print on that stuff. Well, we'll see about that. Well, first, the Value Guys present uh, the Value Guys Wall Street News featuring Momentum and Mo. It's well, Value Guys World News this well, week, I oh, guess. Oh, World News. Of course. Okay. Great. What do you got? Shout out. Welcome to the world, Baby George. Oh, Baby George. Nice. Baby George Alexander Lewis. Yep. The future... Oh, should we do a toast? The future king of England. Yeah. So uh, we made some money on that call. Nice one. You know, we had a... You know, th there's been a lot of talk about how um, funds like us, hedge funds, use expert... You know, expert witnesses. Is it insider trading or is it just the expert witnesses? Is it we, just a, you know, a thought or is it knowledge, right? Right. Sometimes so we, we had, um, uh, almost a month ago, we hired uh, one of the top obstetricians in London and one of the top pediatricians in London. Ah. And we worked with them and they, they determined 
uh, exactly when the royal birth was going to take place. We really only had to be within a week because most economists say there's a 400 million boost to the local economy when that baby just is, people rushing to town to is hatched. Yeah, and so getting ah. out within the week. Buying up hotel rooms. No, like not that. really hotel rooms, but very close. Huh. London-based REITs. And ah. they saw a 21% increase on that week. Rent especially increases. when you're That's playing. what people are thinking. So, um, so huh. we made a little money on that. Did you leverage it up? I'm sure you guys. That's um, what you do. We, well, because we're offshore, we did what was leveraged. And so and 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 we, we, made, we made money on the name. Will the IRS be listening in right now? Are you yeah, going to yeah, get a call? Yeah. We, we, we're just we don't it's entertainment taxes. purposes <laughs> only. Right, they know better than okay. to come after us. Well, that's a we, good call. We made money on the name. You did. What What other names were people thinking about? Right? Well, for it was about $15,000, we hired um, the one of the key historians from the Royal Historical Society in London um, to basically research what the realistic the names would be. Sure. These names come up historically in very that? predictable cycles. Every fourth generation is a George. Every ninth uh-huh. generation is an Alexander. You look at the waves That's and you look at the That's not easy to understand goes. either. Exactly. But we used, we used uh, well, I guess I can say his name is Frank Hines. He's the, he is the number one guy at the Royal Historical Society. Did he Society. pay for you to say that? He, no. no but but he it. provided the, <clears throat> the likely names. The names, okay. Um, we used a game theorist. Uh-huh. And uh, we used two economists to determine what co- how the combinations of the names we should create. And then we bet those names with the, the, the local bookmakers out of Harris, out of you know half a dozen places you in London. You go full boat. You don't, you uh, don't waste And it was currency money. hedged. We made like $12 million on that. That's amazing. What was, uh, so what, if, what were some of the other names? Were, were you sure we it was knew, that? We knew George. Because Did you have someone on the inside, like in the hospital? No, what you were looking recommending at recommending things. No, you have an algorithm. An you know, algorithm. George comes up every six years, and, and so you've created this I algorithm, see. and you've looked at you count for leap years. The, the girls formula in is huge; it's an enormous Amazing. algorithm. And it and it got us uh, it got us wow. George Alexander. We did not get the Lewis, <laughs> but we were close enough. Well, no one else got that right. either. That's right. amazing. Right. Well, congratulations, Mo, to you and your. So team. that was that was a big week. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This was interesting, too, because I know you, you have done a lot of telecom names in the past. Uh, a big survey just came out, uh, the Mobile Consumer Habits Survey. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't see that one. It's, uh, it's, a, it's highly anticipated. You know, no big surprises, but there was one. The, the no big surprises are two-thirds of us use our smartphone during a dinner date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two-thirds yeah. of us. Use but, uh, it okay. during a school function. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. You know, people people drive with it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but far, nothing new there. Nothing new. Okay, 10%. Uh-oh. 10% of people have admitted to using their smartphone during sex in what? the last 12 months. Is this a family show? Wait a minute. And of the younger crowd, younger than uh, the, the 18 to 34 demographic, young, 20% have really? used it. During checking sports scores? During or, sex. I mean, what would you be using it for? Uh, well, that's call, what, if anyone out there can help. Let them know, <laughs> hey, mom, I it's might really be a little up. late. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I'm not going to touch know. that, but that was a... That was a that's uh, unusual. An interesting, uh, an interesting How do you play that, I wonder? I don't know. Uh, maybe Sprint. Maybe Sprint's the way to get at that. So uh, you know the other the other interesting news. You know I'm I'm heading out west. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going to be out in Oregon. You know the big news out in Oregon. I don't. 
All right, July 9th. Yeah. Okay. A truck, a truck with 5,000 chickens in it. 5,000 yeah. chickens. Does this have anything to do with Wall Street at this point? None. Okay, just to be clear. Over, overturned in downtown Salem. 5,000 uh-huh. chickens, some of which were killed, many of them which escaped. That's and uh, no big deal. You know, there may have been it's negligence tragic. involved. It may have been tragic. But what's the story here is that the PETA, you yeah. know, that's the, uh, the, the organization people. for, you know, the ethical treatment of animals, um, mm. is uh, proposing to put up a five and a half foot tall, 250 pound giant bloody chicken on crutches memorializing the hundreds of chickens that have perished during this really they're going during this crash has nothing so happened in salem before no but they have asked us to reach out to some of our listeners who might want to make a donation um you can you can tweet it to bloody chicken <laughs> and uh, that's going to go no. to building this statue and they're going to put that up in in uh, in downtown Salem, you Oregon, made that commemorating. Up, no, it's that's see. unbelievable. So, okay, well, uh, that's interesting. Hopefully, you may have fast forwarded to this point in the show. If just you want to get right to the stock uh, news. Also, we have a companion uh, show called Value Guys Stock Clips. I think it's also on iTunes, and it's got every clip indexed by tickers. So. Nothing we've talked about so far, but rather the things we're about to talk about. So you can find out uh, before we even know about it. Well, you'll know it ahead of us, for sure. Uh, Okay, well, we've got three value ideas this week that came out of a screen that we left over on the table over there. I can't find. Yeah, whatever. Here's what it is, basically. I ran it in the office before coming over here, Um, and before I started drinking, importantly, um, it was basically between a hundred million and five billion in market cap, uh, in the bottom half of its 52-week range, which is hard to find, really, when you get into the you know record territories that we're at, at least on an absolute basis. Oh, thanks, Mo. Oh, good. Uh, debt to uh, EBITDA less than two and a half times, so you know reasonably well capitalized at the outset. PEs on next year's. Uh, estimates less than 15 times, and an average five-year return on total capital of 10% or better, which I thought, it's just have it in there. These need to be reasonably decent companies. That screen cranked out 30 names, and Mo and I went through each and every one of them. To come to these three that we're about to present to you today, Argonne, AGX, Joseph A. Banks, the Clothiers, J-O-S-B, and U-F-P Technologies. U-F-P, you got to be careful how you say that. Yes. In a, in a crowded room. Ooft. Uh, oof. U-F-P-T. Oof. And so let's go alphabetically. What minute mark are we on here? Oh, not too bad. Uh, first up, Argonne, A-G-X. Now, the nice thing about a screen is it's past a screen that I just described to you, so we know it's at least one of 30 in the world, in the universe that got through. These guys are an engineering, consulting firm, procurement, construction, commissioning, basically everything that has to do with with building something. And the thing they like to build is traditional natural gas power plants and uh, other fuel projects like biodiesel, ethanol. They like to do renewable um, not that that's a profitable area for them. 
But here's the thing. The company has had $200 million in sales for a long time. They dipped down in their back. Um, they've So they're stable. They're putting up over a 10%, nearly 15% EBITDA margin. That's pretty good. Um, they have $10 in cash on a $15 stock, no debt. And they seem to be in an area, Mo, that should be gaining share. Natural gas should be gaining share from coal. So hopefully that's their main business. The renewables are there as those become economic, so they're there. And we certainly know that people need power. Something <coughs> excuse me, is wrong with the stock because it's just a little bit over one times EBITDA. So that generally means people think something's about to go to hell, and I don't know. Other than I'd note that uh, analysts have dropped their estimates for the next two years by 20% and 30% within the last few months. So they disappointed the street. The stock came in a bit. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's 1.7 times book. And book in this case, who knows what it means. I don't think they've had a lot of write-offs. That may be some kind of replacement cost. It's uh, 27 times real cash flow. That's like a 4% real cash return. So it just struck my interest, Mo. I don't know. You know, it's hard to table pound. This one, just it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, um, the, first thing I, the first thing I looked at was just trying to figure out what these guys did. And, um, you know, I think you alluded to the fact that these guys are in the power business. Mm-hmm. And what they do specifically is they build plants for natural gas companies. And the first thing I wondered was, because you said, is there something wrong? Uh, are they finding that because of the glut in natural gas that the number of new plants that are being commissioned has stalled temporarily? That's going to ultimately impact future revenues. We don't know that. There's only one guy who follows this company. Which is a cool thing about it, by the it way. Can you be, can do work here and exactly. learn something the market doesn't know. Exactly, but it can cut both ways yeah. because if most of the people that... When you only have one analyst follow this stock, the people who own a company, and this much of it, are big in a couple of big institutions that own it. They do their own research. They talk to the guys. And um, if they're saying, we're going to pull back, we're going to wait, you can almost look at this as insiders. Because when you only have one analyst following it, it's a very small group of people that really end up owning the majority of the stock. There's just not enough coverage to have diversity diversity of shareholders. So I worry about that. I worry about the potential for a little bit of a slowdown. Um, interestingly enough, look at what the EBITDA margins have been doing. I mean, this was a company that, that had EBITDA margins of 4 or 5, then they came up to 9, and now they're trading at 13. So they are becoming more profitable. And it may be that as they consolidate, buy more companies up, they're getting economies of scale, even though they're, even though their sales are relatively flat. That looks interesting, but I can't come up with a knockout story yet. Well, you know, you would want to. So when they say the analyst estimates are coming down, you see that's this, one guy. It's one guy, right. but obviously uh, they must have missed a number. You can look at the quarterly projections here, and <clears throat> uh, for fourteen anyway, you can see the sequential. So starting in January of two thousand fourteen, uh, let's see, or July anyway, you can see we've got estimates here. This one guy, but presumably he's getting a lot of help from the company as to what the likely path is in some fashion. There may be some guidance here, I don't know. 
but all of a sudden, as you see, all the estimates are down. They're looking for year-over-year uh, earnings declines. And I'm not calculating the percentage here, but for July of this year, uh, it looks like, you know, or maybe this is a fiscal year. I'm sorry. So for yeah. July of last year, they earned $0.45. Cents. The estimate for July this year, July 13, is $0.27. Cents. That's down, you know, what, 35%? In the next couple quarters, it's also down. So maybe they lost a contract. All the estimates hmm. are going to be coming in. I don't know, but at 1.2 times EBITDA, uh, you, you can afford to wait out some yeah. bad news. It's yeah. 12 times yeah. earnings. You know, maybe it's just earnings are just temporarily down. Who knows? Anyway, Argon ticker AGS. Yeah, key is one analyst that's following it. So if we're wrong and and uh, people are missing it, you're uh, you can find out as easily as anyone yeah, else can. Exactly. Okay. Joseph Banks. Joseph Banks. Uh, we were talking about Brooks Brothers before this. Well, I don't know. Uh, comparable. These kind guys of. are exactly Brooks Brothers. They're not. You know? But they would like to be. They'd like to be. And I think <clears throat> they do a pretty good job. But I think they're, they're, uh, they're a little under uh, Banks. But same idea. Have a quality product at a price that, that's your clientele. And try to make it as good as possible. And be a uniform for uh, what? Casual business or yeah. something like Older that. Older yuppies. So you know, I wouldn't normally be drawn to a retailer because you said you said earlier you didn't even like them right now. Well, retailers, you know, if the economy's tough, you can always just go a season without buying new clothes. Um, particularly if you're a guy, you can get away with it no problem. Those jeans last a long time. Unless you're time. gaining weight at a very got, fast clip. <laughs> I got a lot of white shirts and black shirts. I'm good, you know. So. My only concern about any retailer is, other than a food retailer, is just that it's not, you know, it's somewhat discretionary. But these guys have gotten so cheap, Mo, that I have to weigh in on it. It's five times EBITDA, a little over that. That's a 20% cash-on-cash return. They've got no debt. They've got a fair amount of cash, $380 million, no debt, and $27 million shares, so 11 bucks in cash, no debt on a $40 stock. And, uh, you know, price to cash flow, that's cash after almost, I think, most cash. I don't know. And there may not be uh, capital spending out of that. I'm not sure. It's not defined. But 12.5. Um, enterprise value to sales, 0.8. And so these are pretty attractive, you know, valuation metrics. The only question is, are they going to grow? And when I look at their sales growth over time, you know, I mean, Mo, it looks like in the Grand Recession or whatever we're going to end up calling it, sales were up. That's mm -hmm. a pretty unique uh, data point. That January 09, January 2010, both those mm -hmm. revenue numbers are up and both EBITDA numbers are up. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't follow this company, but I'm going to guess that's extremely unusual for that period. Maybe they've restated every number. I don't know, but... To get through that period like that. So we've got this very long record of just consistent earnings gains. It actually looks like it's going to be a little bit off on earnings this year. Sales are up, but margins are down a little bit, and that could be some kind of cost thing. I don't know. It's not a thing I'm overly concerned about at this valuation. Margins in the mid-teens consistently, very consistent record, Mo, and cheap. That's what I like about this. 
Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know Joseph Banks that well. But if I were a retail analyst, here's what I would be looking at. I just went in the Burberry store a couple of couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't believe it. The, the good old Burberrys that just sold trench coats when we first started working on Wall Street yeah. now sells like it's all hipster stuff. Yeah. Very Brooklyn, very single-speed bicycle, very, you know, handlebar mustache, hipster stuff. I was really surprised by that. Brooks Brothers has gone after that same market. J. Crew sells $400 linen sport coats. I mean, yeah. that's... And the same thing is true with uh, with Banana Republic. So you have all these retailers going after a young demographic. They they like dressing up more than the last group because of Mad Men. They, they all thought they, that was very and they, cool. And that's a lot of money for a typical person to spend on clothes. So right. you need another alternative, I guess. So is Joseph Banks going to be caught up with that wave, or do they get boxed out because all these firms are going after a younger group that really wants to dress more like Mad Men, and even Brooks Brothers is offering that? I don't know if Joseph Banks is yet, but... Do you think they should, or should they... Yeah, I think they should. I think that's sort of the the, the way of the world. Otherwise, they're going to miss out, like, uh, they'll just be... They'll have the wrong... They'll be old old school, and it won't work. And I'm sort of looking at this stock, and, you know, when I think about... You talk about Mo, which is... How I, I look yeah, at things. Yeah. I look at a company that in 2009 was up 60%, the next year 40%, the next year 20%. Great numbers, but all of a sudden, last year down 13. Yeah. We're halfway through this year, we're down 4. Could in a, a boring thing. Market. I think that's, you know, that's a good insight. Mark. I'm worried that they may be losing some of their momentum from a stock price perspective, and I worry from a macro perspective about the, uh, the environment, but... Call me if you think I'm wrong. Well, I'll tell you something that you know speaks to that, Mo. Actually, I, um, some people won't know this. Most people might not. But you know the woman's store Talbots. You're named after that? No. Oh. No, I'm not. That, although that is that was one of my middle name choices, Valmont Talbot uh, Hughes. Uh, no, Talbots and Joseph A. Banks at one time were both owned. By the same company. Yeah, they so, look the same. One's for boys, well, one's for girls. Well, right. Yeah, so yeah. one of the things that happened to Talbots was they kind of got out of sync with style. And, you know, it could be that this is the same kind of deal. So that, like would, brother, be the like value, that would be the yeah. value trap. I'm not saying that's going to happen because any retailer always has the opportunity every season to reinvent itself with... You know, if Brooks Brothers can do it, certainly Joseph Banks can do it. So I guess you just have to watch. You need to report back in, Mo. You seem to be on, you know, on the streets, knowing what's going on in the in the hipster clothing stores. Can you? It's hard. It's hard to miss it when you yeah. walk out your front door and there's a guy that looks like he just came off a set of the 1890s with giant mutton chops, and you ask him, like, "Are you here with the circus? What are you doing?" He looks you seriously in the eye and says, "I'm a butcher, sir." Great, you know you're riding a you're riding a nine hundred dollar wow. fixie bicycle. You got mutton chops. You're wearing a plaid suit. Well, meat up. prices have gone up a lot. Yeah. All right, next up, and maybe it's good that it's we have the some final hipster. Look. We have some hipster listeners. Yeah, probably. Yufta, Yufpa uh, Technologies. Is it Yufpa? I'm going to guess they want you to just say the letters. <laughs> just. I'm, I'm going to guess they just want you to say UFP. I mean, they don't make it clear. Well, what's the T stand? You're dropping the UFP, UFP technologies. UFP. And then, uh, 
and then the, the ticker they got is UFPT. This came through that same screen. I don't want to repeat everything, but it's basically good balance sheet, not too expensive, decent long-term returns on capital, etc. Uh, 30 stocks got through that screen. This is one of them. And what I got attracted to they here... They make styrofoam peanuts. Exactly. Which don't taste very no. good, but um, they're cheap. Packaging. Packaging. Right. And what I think everyone has learned is that if you break something, it's better to have gotten a package in there, a packaging that it doesn't break, because if it breaks, you owe the guy. And that takes a lot out of your gross margin when you got to you know, already, send you know, free The stuff. packing's already built into your gross margin. So you got to... So you got to have the packaging, and these guys have it. It's cheap. It's six times EBITDA. Uh, it's got a very healthy gross margin in the high 20s consistently, which it looks like some type of annuity if you get a packaging. Total debt to cap, 11%. That looks pretty good. Again, this one has some cash. Uh, it's uh, $25 million net cash on uh, 6 million shares, so 6 bucks a share in cash on a $21 stock. And uh, so cheap. Well run packaging. It's a GDP grower and stable. I thought so too. And you know, sometimes we play guess the dividend, and you know, the whole object of guess the dividend is that it's stunningly easy to make some of these forecasts because the dividend's been the same for 14 years. Um, but what's interesting is that this stock, from a price perspective standpoint, does the same thing. It was up 22% in uh, 2009. 20, um, a huge year in 2010, but 20% in 2011, 20% in 2012, and it's up 18% year to date. Three more points, and it's 20% for this year. So there's not a lot of stocks out there where, where they put that kind of performance in. 20% every single year, back to back to back, or better, since 2009. So... Yeah, if it's a play on disposable income, the market's known that for a while because it's had a, it's had a stunning performance. Well, one cool thing too, Mo, is I mean, this is one that you like because the Mo, you know, it's done great, but it stayed cheap. Right. So uh, it's six times EBITDA. It's point nine times sales, and so a listener might ask, how can it stay cheap while it's been going up so much? And the answer to that is, I think. I'll just make something up because it's not evident from the numbers here other than I'm just looking for like an average PE. And all I might suggest is it always stays cheap because in a it's business like packaging, well, people might always not be sure. They might not have long-term contracts. It might be that, you know, they get an order just a little bit in advance because it's a commodity and they have to keep winning it on service. So <clears throat> it might be the street never gets confidence that, they're really going to keep winning the business or growing, and so they get this lower mar um, lower multiple. I don't know, but all I'll say is six times EBITDA is a 16% cash-on-cash return. The market value on this, and here's the cool thing, Mo, enterprise value is $122 million. And only two analysts, and we're, well, we're just talking about this with... I mean, we could combine funds and just buy it, and if we could do that, it means that anyone. so could a lot of people, and that... That's going to ultimately happen if you know the market doesn't revalue this thing. And to your point, you know there is no dividend. So in a market that's been driven by dividend yield, a lot of people seeking dividend yield. Maybe this guy's been, you know, a little neglected on the valuation. Well, to me, it's the most intriguing story. You know, from a what they do perspective, the stock looks great, the performance looks great, the EBITDA margins have been uh, been increasing slowly, albeit slowly, but they've been increasing. 
it's been such a solid performer. I worry a little bit about it being out of juice for this year, but you know, assuming the long-term story is good, yeah, this is this is the best-looking one of the group. Even uh, just to comment from something on Joseph Banks, even these guys were down in the December '09 year packaging, but and other Joseph than that Banks one year, and right, but other than that one year, again, their sales trend is very consistent. The EBITDA margins have been rising steadily every year. So while they're putting up gross margins that have gone from 24% to 29%, so about you know, 60, 70 basis points of improvement every year, during that same period, EBITDA has gone from 11 to 15 So they've managed to bring that whole gross margin improvement down to the EBITDA line, which is pretty disciplined. And you see this consistent march, about 100 basis points a year or so, in uh, EBIT margin, and they're bringing that down to net margin. It's coming all the way through, and their returns on equity in the mid-teens, occasionally dipping into the low 20s. Sales per employee, which is a nice you know, data points sometimes to see if there's productivity enhancements. And this one looks like generally there are, although static the last couple of years, so maybe, you know, they're going to need to build a new factory or something soon. But I, I just think there's so much about this that's kind of intriguing. And you got two analysts, so get a chance to learn something here on your own. You know, when you said uh, we could combine our funds and buy this, it's true. The one thing you do have to look at, which I just did, and it still gives us a big green light, is, okay, you think this company's uh, worth $122 million, and we're going we're gonna to go buy it. It may be $122 million because they have you know $900 million worth of debt on the balance sheet. When you buy them, you take on those obligations and... That's why they're so cheap. In this case, there's only eight million of long-term debt. So the really, you could buy the whole company, pay off all of the debt. Yeah. Um, which sometimes can improve your your uh, competitiveness for 130 mil. Yeah. Ten percent down is 13 million. Yeah. You write half, I write half. Well, uh, and you'd earn a 16 percent on that, and you might be able to borrow money at. Uh, Four. Well, not for this. I mean, you and me, I mean, maybe eight. Even yeah. that, you're making... I mean, I, I just think, uh, not to say LBO, because that was when we got in the business, everyone was, this is LBO, this is LBO. But now, the you know, leveraged buyout, the banks don't loan money like that anymore, but hedge funds do, and this is just sitting here. I, I just think it's interesting, Mom. Yeah, it's a VBO. VBO. Value guys buyout. <laughs> Let's take it out. Absolutely. Uh... All right, well, that's it for this week. Well, you need a, what's your favorite? What? Oh, my favorite? I'm not going to sugarcoat this, I'll tell you. I'm going to start, okay. I'm going to, my favorite is... Really, the one we just talked about? Yeah. Okay. That's I think a, that's, that's probably my, a good one. That's my top choice. We're going to agree on that. No, I'm going to do a different one. Those two one. analysts out there thinking, wow, we just doubled our number. I actually <laughs> think that, like this stock. I think that's going to be a great stock. But just so listeners appreciate that there could be two great stocks this week, I'm going to make my favorite Argan. Oh, not Joseph A. Banks. No. Oh, no. I thought you were going to do that. Well, the the fashion thing. You might be onto something. They may be a Talbots. Yeah, you, know? you never know. And, that's and that thing is terrible. So. Well. Well, now what? We have uh, another segment to do, but we have yes. to. Yes. Since we really didn't prepare, we haven't even looked. We haven't called it up on the screen. I don't yet. even know what it, what. What, I don't even remember how to call it up. It's been so long. I do. You whistle this way. So, 
Uh, this is the part of the show that we uh, like to call Paging Through National Economic Trends, which is a Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis publication. It's everything you need to know about the U.S. economy and then even beyond what you care to know but what you need to know. Some things we can't even figure out. We don't even want to Why know. you would want to And read. there's a companion piece that I keep threatening to print, but it's, it's, it's too confusing. But it's called National Monetary Trends. And if you're an econ major, you probably should read that and then send us an email and explain it. Because honestly, Mo, there were lines that our entire career for 30 years were flat. In the last four years, they have added so much to the monetary base that it uh, it's staggering, and yet if... You know, and, if, if, and if we have 20% of the young population texting while they're having sex, we know we're not going to have a baby boom, and that's what we really need to drive this GDP. I think it's a very troubling trend. You know, it's only the value guys giant, can connect those dots. We could, we could see a gi- giant decline in birth rates. Yeah. Well, at any rate. Anyway, that's something to take. So we will uh, go get that uh, document, and we will be right back. Through national economic trends, which we actually uh, didn't pay through, we moused through. Oh, were we mousing around? We're mousing, and uh, we've got—I mean—several fabulous insights for the listeners. Don't you think? Fabulous. Yeah. Why don't you start with? (laughs) Well, I don't know if I can live up to the challenge. I need to have a drink here anyway. Fabulous, but um, let's see if I if I mouse down to page. Mm. To page ten, I have something. We don't have a that's, printer handy. I mean, we do, but um, things eight hundred yeah. pages. Yeah, no I don't. I don't that. normally. I don't have an industrial. Yeah, I have a couple things here. Well, oh, you before ten? I'm on. I got a page three. You want to just go well, through page? Let's page yeah, through. Yeah. All right, go page order. It's a good oh. idea. Uh oh. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Here there. we go. All right. Page. I'm on page three. This is just. We're really paging through it. It's the. Uh, National Economic Trends at the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Google it up and you can be paging along with us. It's the most current copy. They do uh, updates like daily. It's amazing. Don't do this while you're driving. No, certainly not. Okay, page three. I had a little comment on interest rates. Oh, good. I was going to ask you a question. Now, interest rates are in the news because, you know, people don't know whether they want to buy long-term bonds because rates might go up or what have you. But meantime... Rates have been quietly going up. So this is the uh, 10-year Treasury has gone from a 1. Point, uh, roughly 6% yield a year ago to 2.2. And in terms of the effect, you've got to think of that as a percentage change. So it's, it was 1.6 and it went to 2.2. So that's 0.6 over 1.6. It's almost a 30% increase. increase or decrease in the value of assets that are related to that as a benchmark or hurdle rate and a discount rate. If you change a discount rate in a you know, present value calculation of cash flows and you go from 1.6% to 2.6, the value of that thing, particularly if it's 30, 40 years, is going to go down by uh, 30%. And that's the concept of 
you know, duration and changes in interest rates and things like that. But the point being that that's a big move, and it's already happened. So people are asking, well, are rates going to go up? They're well, up a you, lot if, right now. If you look at the yield curve, which is as good of a forecast as you're going to get, at least short term into the future, it's, it's getting steeper and steeper, suggesting that rates may continue to go up. Yeah. Now, here's, here's, why I wanted, here's why I circled it. People get worried about interest rates going up, and I just want to say, in Japan, for example, their rates have been zero for 10 years, so they're just getting better now. But low rates are not necessarily a sign of good times. It means no one has anything to do with money, so they don't want any. Yeah. When you see rates going up like this, it's actually positive. There's increasing demand for money to do things with. It's actually a sign of a healthy economy. And it's nowhere near where it would choke off any type of investment. It's more of a hurdle on, look, if you want to borrow money and do something with it, make sure you can at least get a 2% return. It actually, as rates go up a little bit, it introduces a little bit of discipline into, you know, what you might do with the money. So I just, I know people might be worried about that. I just want to come in and say, that's a good thing. Uh, it means people need money to do stuff with and you know, I was just looking at page eleven to to follow follow up on what you were saying, and uh, take a look at this chart because the question is: Are rates going up? Um, let's see, where am I? I want to look at uh, page eleven. There we go. Almost there. Almost there. Nine, ten, eleven. Here we go. Um, yes. Okay, so you mentioned that we've got uh, rates that have gone up yes. and presumably um, will continue to go up um, as, as we get closer and closer to fully con uh, you know, f full employment. Yeah. And the question is, how long will that take? Well, look at this graph. This is the unemployment rate, which is slowly declining, the job openings, which is very slowly increasing. Yeah. And when those two cross... Yeah. Well, then you're probably going to start to see a little bit of inflation. Until then, you might not see any. Well, you've mentioned this before. I think that's a good point. There's a lot of uh, one reason inflation is, and I want to talk about that. Uh, it's modest, CPI. and, and yet interest rates are up. Yeah, because there's a lot of labor that's still needing a job. At your point, you know, unemployment coming down, job openings increasing. When labor has the upper hand in terms of supply and demand, you may see some wage inflation. Yep, so I, I, I had looked at that and, and then I had looked at this, which I never saw this this uh, I never saw this graph before. This is uh, this is the duration of unemployment and since we kind of glid through the bull market, we've never been unemployed. But from nineteen eighty eight through two thousand and eight, that's twenty years. Yeah. For twenty years in good times, when you were out of work, you were out of work about, you know, seven weeks. And when times were pretty tough, you were out of work for 10 weeks. For 20 years, it was that yeah. way. And all of a sudden, during the Great Recession of 09, 25 weeks. Yeah. And it's gotten better, but it's still at 16 weeks. Well, I think the only thing to conclude from that, because uh, we're not talking about it today, but when you look at how much debt is outstanding in the economy versus how much GDP there is, so this ratio you always hear, 
You know, in the shop, we were looking at this back in 07 and 06 when you were trying to think about how much mortgage debt could you put on the backs of the citizens that was driving home price increases because you're always looking for these bubbles and things like that. So I think some of this unemployment back here, so 20 right. years, but right. was they were hiring people with borrowed money that they were going to end up not being able to pay back. And so, you know, when you started having big investments into particularly construction that's the one that got out of hand, of course. But there was a lot of hiring going on that that increase in debt masked until now. So, Mo, I would actually argue that while this is obviously what happened, that if we had had a little more discipline on debt ratios back in this period, when yep. things were a little loose, that you might see this period here from 02 to 08, which on this chart looks like it's lower unemployment than the 90s, yeah. I'm going to guess that had we had more discipline in lending, that we might see a more trend here where oh. it was up that time and it's up again this yeah. time, but not as much. And so, you know, and that might be explained in a part by uh, demographics, the aging of the yeah. population. Or even, or even structural issues where you've got a very big changing economy. Yeah. But these numbers, particularly in those O's, when the debt, the balance sheet of America was getting so stretched, almost everything is in effect overstated. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right, well, I got one here. What page is that? This isn't going to be happy news. Oh, no. Yeah, not that much. No, we can't end on that note. No, that's why I have one after this, too. But uh, I'm just going to look at page uh, two, or no, page seven. Just paging through, mousing through. Let's see. Six. Here we go. Seven. Okay. The uh, Standard & Poor's uh, 500 index with reinvested dividends percent change from a year ago. So when this line is above zero, in effect, that's a bull market because stock's going up below bear market. And I just want to point out, here we are in July 2013. We've had one, two, three, four. Four full years of bull market. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 90s, which I don't think we can count, you know, um, the Cold War was over. You had almost 20 years. The Reagan tax rates were kicking in. Right. The demographics of the baby boom was they were all buying big things, you know, et cetera. There's a lot of reasons that that was a good period. And it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. But I'll just say, you young kids that weren't born at that time, too bad you missed it. That ain't happening again. In the O's, the bull market, look, Mo, yeah. one, two, three, four and a half years, and we're at four years right now. Uh-oh. And I, I'm not the, I, you know, I, I'm not a uh, fortune teller, but I do think that there are some, uh, you know, uh, behavioral psychology types of aspects to good markets and bad, and uh, it's just those people who think, you know, hey, we could have a bear market now. Well, you know, classic I don't think, business cycle. Yeah, I classic. don't think we're in store for that. I think we got a couple good years left here. But anyway, the bull uh, market's getting old. Fasten your seatbelts. Well, I, I want to ask you a question about because the bull market is driven by sentiment, and if you uh, if you mouse down to page three, another chart I've never really looked at before, but it's kind of interesting. It's on the University of Michigan. I hear this quoted all the time, but I never looked at it. Uh, consumer sentiment, University of Michigan poll. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is that 
consumer sentiment, if you just kind of draw a line through it, has been going straight up since 2008. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's really re- Now, we had that... I don't remember what this was, and I should. Well, somewhere in here, like, this is where Lehman went broke. What happened in 2011? Because it, because consumer uh, We sentiment, were, uh, you know, uh, Europe was going to go oh, bankrupt, Europe Portugal... But, but aside from that downward blip, you draw a line through that, and consumer sentiment has been getting better since 2008. This was might be also the American uh, the debt downgrade, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could probably. I mean, I don't know. Were you? Did you lose confidence? I lost a lot of confidence when it went uh, down. I was feeling pretty bad. These day. are the same rating agencies that uh, totally missed the whole Wall Street debacle. We worked at a now, firm like that. You know, we've we been in the kitchen on that, uh, so we I guess we weren't shocked. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. All right, I got one more. Okay. And this is a little better news. Oh, good. Page. Uh, Eight. An ending note, which would be good news. Uh, well, this is just, um, you know, you, you got to think about inflation when you're an investor because, of course, inflation can erode all your principal in terms of its buying power. And ultimately, if you're investing just for the hobby of it, don't worry about it. But if ultimately that's money to have a grandchild spend, then inflation matters because, you know, they're going to want to buy something with that money ultimately. And so when you estimate the uh, inflation rate, you know, the the first place you kind of look, I think, is what's the current inflation rate. And back when we were uh, in college, Mo, you know, it doesn't even go on this chart now, but in 1979, I think the inflation rate got up to 13% that year, and the long bond was 18. Mm -hmm. It's not even on this chart. Um, And then, uh, of course, there were oil shocks and such throughout the 90s, energy prices came down and all that. But what I want to bring up is the consumer price index has been actually remarkably, I mean, it's it's volatile a little bit, but it's it's staying right around 2%. It bounced up to 4 That was that commodity price. But it's been that um, since 1990, almost. Yeah, yeah. Even oh, back yeah. here, 3% to 2%, remarkably stable. And I think, you know, that's a nice backdrop to creating confidence. We may not know what the tax rate's going to be, but at least we know that inflation's remaining low. And uh, I think part of that is because we're in a period where, you know, the demographics matter. And a lot of people have all their needs. And so if something gets too expensive, they just don't buy it. And that keeps prices in check. If you don't chase the price then ultimately no the economy has to bring those prices down for you. And I think that's a bit what's been happening. Well, that is a happy note. Yeah. Low inflation forecast, interest yeah. rates will rise just a hair, enough to make you a little richer, but not enough to hurt your stocks. Right. And the world is a better place. It's a gentler, uh, gentler kinder uh, value, guys, this week. Exactly. So, All right, well, thanks for listening, and everybody. This has been another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. Uh, with the value guys. See all our caveats, indices to past shows. Every stock we ever talked about is uh, indexed by ticker at www.thevalueguys.com. So long, everybody. See you soon. Psst, how do we change it?